Wonder Things Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, episode 107. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Marie Billadeau. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned into the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show and pitch a story idea to us and, and this is where the cool stuff comes in, our esteemed guest host. And then we dive into it, exploring what works and what doesn't, trying to spin coarse straw into literary gold. Indeed, the Rumpelstiltskin metaphor, we're, we're always looking for that. Actually, Marie, I was thinking about this, and when we talk about our craft and making it better... <laughs> We tend to use words like refining or honing or sharpening our craft. Mm. And if you think about that, it's like, are we trying to stab people? Are we trying to cut people with our craft that we want it so sharp and honed? And, and well, well, yeah, that's how you get into their emotional depths, right? You, oh. you have to stab them a bit to jerk a reaction out of them. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily physically, Dave. Only when possible do we do it physically. Okay, right, right. It's a, it's a metaphor. But but that makes us like, it's a metaphorical slasher film then if we're just... And anyway, that was in my head. I had to get it out. And apologies to our listeners for having been around while that splattered around the potosphere. Marie Billado, co-host, thank you so much. I know you're still struggling with the, the con crud from your CanCon experience. Uh, uh, and that just makes me so much more appreciative of you making the time uh, uh, and, and sitting beside me here in this next adventure into brainstorming awesomeness. Thank you, ma'am. I am so glad to be here. I wouldn't miss it. And, and you know, all concrete aside, too, I, I have to say that at least I'm proud by seeing on social media and all that how many people I have in turn made sick with concrete. So not all was lost, my friend. <laughs> you're, you're, you're delighting in your in your role as patient zero for, for the for the CanCon plague. Is that it? Is that what I'm hearing? I am. I am going to own that and just be, in fact, very proud of it. <laughs> And I'm, for one, I'm grateful that we are virtual and not actual at this point. Oh, and actually, see what I did there? That was a play on words. Uh, let's 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 roll into the awesomeness that is the roundtable. Bring back our guest host into the big comfy chair. Dear friends, from a fabulous 20 minutes with where we waxed rhapsodic on all manner of very cool concepts that are still rattling around in our brains and no doubt yours as well. Please welcome back to the RTP Virtual Studios, Jake Kerr. Jake, dude. Hey, he's back. And I, I got to share with you, you know, every time I say welcome back to the big block, I actually gesture with my hand as though there's an actual chair somewhere. Uh, uh, that, that must be my theater upbringing here. So imagine me gesturing grandly because that's exactly what I'm doing. Welcome back, Jake, man. Thanks for making the time. And, and imagine me sitting, tossing myself back with great luxury into your beautiful chair <laughs> we need wait, sound wait, wait. effect after i give marie a virtual germ-free hug oh see <laughs> this is like the tonight show this is awesome this is exactly the visuals i'm going for friends implant those in your brains anytime you listen to this from now on you must see us all hugging and flopping into the chairs and me gesturing broadly <laughs> it's beautiful uh, uh, it is. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, 
Jake, okay, there's one thing I got to ask you, and I, and, and I know this is going to add time to our recording, and I'm okay with that because it's my damn show. Um, I'm laughing a lot. All right. Uh, there's a question I didn't get to ask you in the 20 minutes with, and I, I don't want you to necessarily dive down the rabbit hole on this, but in the description for Selected Stories, your your collection of short fiction that's out there, it, it said in the description that this, this collection highlights your position as a leading practitioner in science fiction's humanist tradition. And I had, you know, the idea of humanism and what that means, I get that. I wasn't aware that there was a humanist tradition in science fiction. Can you uh, elaborate and clarify that for us just a little bit? So there's there's two pieces to that. One is it's just marketing bullshit. So... <laughs> So, Fair enough. <laughs> you know, it sounds really good. It so, does. It's it got my attention. So, so the fact that you're bringing it up tells me that I'm a marketing fucking genius, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> and now that the, I'm the highlighting answer, it, <laughs> the second answer is that, uh, in my mind, at least, and that's all that matters. The humanist tradition in science fiction is the one that is differentiated from the hard science fiction where it's about the ideas, the science, the the how do I solve this problem with physics. Uh, you know, there's a, a tremendous amount of writing that fills that kind of uh, or fits that kind of uh a definition okay. and i love that science fiction but there's another side where the martians are big green creatures and and uh, like uh, ray bradbury uh you know theodore sturgeon you know there's a, there's a number of science fiction writers where uh they really are aiming at how does the human heart deal with science and what does the science do to our interactions as people a very humanist type of uh, approach to the themes of science fiction, as it were. Okay. And uh, that's more of where my uh, head is at. Good, good. Well, or and, heart, and as it Heart, were. yes. And hand, as it were, as you tap and <laughs> tap and tap away. Uh, thank you. And I appreciate the invocation of Sturgeon and, and Bradbury as you know icons for that uh, uh, tradition. I, I uh, No, I'm not even going to go there. See, we could talk for another 20 minutes, and we're not going to. Yep. Jake, I got to know, what, what's coming up for you, man? Uh, uh, you, you've got a, a marvelous, diverse kaleidoscope, a very veritable tapestry of storytelling behind you. I know you're not done. So, so tell us, what, what's, what's coming up? What's on the writer's gear? What's on your travel docket? What's coming up for Jake Kerr? Um, really more writing and releasing. Um, next month is the second book of the Guildmaster Thief series. The month after that is the third book of the – these are all going to be released, by the way, uh, not writing there. Th uh, third book of the Tommy Black series is going to be out in November, possibly into December. Depends on getting the cover done. Awesome. Um, I have a short story that's coming out in The Gamer Chronicles, uh, edited uh, – or the uh, series editor is uh, Sam Peralta, who does the amazing Future Chronicle series. Right. And then uh, after that, I've got a uh, kind of a s cyberpunk augmented human novel that will be out in the first half of next year. Interesting. All right. So now I'm intrigued by cyberpunk augmented human. This is this is yet another field of of exploration, it, it, not necessarily in terms of writing, but in terms of subject matter for you, because, you know, Guildmaster Thief and, and Tommy Black, uh, epic fantasy, urban fantasy, and obviously sci fi has, has been your realm for for a while now. Cyberpunk. That sounds intriguing. Can you can you dish with any more details or are you constrained? Just a, just a very succinctly, I love the idea of what is human. You know, how do we define what is human? 
you know, uh, chimpanzees share what 98% of our DNA, but they're not human. You know, is right. an AI human was his consciousness defined. So I love, I'm a huge fan of Philip K. Dick in that kind of genre. So I wanted to, uh, you know, it's, it's something I've wanted to tackle for a very long time. And, uh, so I'm going to write a book about, um, you know, basically, you know, warriors who were created, uh, basically to genetically fight our wars for us and how they're treated. There's some metaphors in there for contemporary world, but it's basically like, you know, who do we, def- who do we treat as human and who do we not? Interesting. Interesting. Sounds, sounds a little, a bit Blade Runner-ish. Yes, exactly. Which is obviously based on a Philip K. Dick story. So yes, that's exactly. <laughs> that. exactly how ironic. Yes. Awesome. Very cool. God, that sounds fabulous, man. You got stuff coming out, stuff that you're working on. Any any convention appearances? I know you're not a big con dude, yeah, but know, I'm not really convention. I, although you're, 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 the idea of a dinner party is uh, very appealing to me. So maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe I could do some bar con stuff. I, in fact, FenCon is happening as we uh, speak, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out to that, and that's in my own hometown. So, fair enough, fair enough. We got to get you to the. I think I think you would thrive in a con environment, Jake. And 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 I know we've spoken about uh, that in, on on other levels, often on mic, but uh, but seriously, there. You know, as Marie can attest, uh, the vibe and the just the creative. It's never mind the social and the network, just the creative explosions that happen at a convention. Uh, uh, I, I think your brain would melt and, and in a good way, in, in a good way. Very cool. All right, Marie, you got awesomeness in the offing as well. I know you've got books coming out in, in French translation. What Catch us all up on what's been going on the last month for you. So for the last month, it's been a lot of fun. I've actually, since pulling myself out of Concrud, which has been two days, uh, <laughs> I've been sending out a lot of stuff that was in the request. I'm hoping I have a lot more news coming up soon. Um, but I do have the second book in my Destiny series in French has just hit bookstores. Um, so the second book is called La Chute de Myrial. And it has a gorgeous cover by Grigory Fromanto. It's it's the Temple of Myrial. It's all like broken up and it's all, it's really awesome. Uh, absolutely adore it. So that's just hit bookstores. So if you have a bookstore near you that has... French books, uh, it's with Les Editions à Lire, they're big, they're awesome, they're a good publisher, and uh, I got to see it in bookstores near me, but of course I'm, I'm right beside Quebec, so that, you know. It's okay, that but still, that's got to be a thrill to see your book on the shelf, right? <laughs> it is, it's, it really is, and I went and I, I signed them, because I was told at CanCon by other authors, I've never done it before, because it, it sounds stupid, and it is stupid, and I will own that, but it's such a geeky thing to do, right? Hey, I have books, I'm going to sign them in a bookstore, but it's a smart thing to do, and it's... I never thought about it. If you sign them, they can't send them back to you, so they have to sell them. <laughs> the mercenary comes out. There you go. Yes, I'll deface my books with my signature, and now you can't return them. <laughs> exactly. So I wouldn't do it for my own self-gratification, but hey, if it's mercenary, I'm in. <laughs> I will deface away. So I got to do that as well, um, which was really, really cool. And uh, that's my big thing that's just come out, and I don't really have... Uh, anything else to announce right now but I do have I'm going to be at a couple of conventions mm-hmm. start at end of next month so I'm, I'm speaking of bar conning which you just mentioned Jake I'm going to be bar conning world fantasy nice in Ohio so I'm going to be there on the Friday and the uh, Saturday hanging out in the bar so if you'd like uh, to chat with me all you have to do is buy me a drink and earn my keep and I'm good to <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kind of. Kind um, of. And <laughs> not really. <laughs> kind of. Not really. And then I'm going to be at Game Hall in November too. Yes, early uh, November. We're going to be getting yeah. our brains out up there, and and I will be giving you all kinds of coverage to the Under Media Group of that of that fabulous gaming event uh, at I, Madison, Wisconsin, right? Yeah, Madison, Wisconsin, uh, November, I think, 4th to the 6th, and we're going to hang out. It's going to be awesome. It is going to be fabulous. Very cool. Awesome. <laughs> well, Jake Marie, I'll make sure all of that stuff gets into the liner notes uh, so our listeners can make with the clicky-click and find out all that cool stuff that's going on. Uh, but right now, here's what I want to do. I want to I want to pause, give some give some podcast airtime to a, got a Kickstarter, uh, an e-book, uh, another podcast. There's so much awesomeness going on out there, and I want to make sure everybody knows about it. Uh, but but uh, uh, once that's done, here's what I really like to do. Jake Marie, I would love to brainstorm a story with you. What do you say? Ooh. <laughs> Radical concept, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're doing that today. I didn't expect totally, that at I all. I know. Coming out of the blue, I, I just I so throw that out there. Made my week, man. Ah, see? And, that, and that's what I'm here for. I'm here for making <laughs> everybody's week, and it'll make your week. But guys, don't go anywhere. We're going to give you this, and then we'll be right back. Meet Tom Statford. Keeper of the Conclave. <laughs> Damn, that almost sound respectable. Private detective to the gods. The god of the sun, the hunt, and truth. Apollo. Shuzhum. Big as life and twice as badass. The Baron Samity has dominion over life and death. All the gods. Lucifer. Lord of the Flies. Prince of Lies. He's faced zombies cultists and assassins he's even faced down commitment itself we don't even know where we're getting married do we but the world has changed the gods are trapped on earth among the very humans who worship them or don't some of the cults were the fun kind like dionysus or aphrodite their meetings can be somewhat energetic did i mention it was all the gods Hell, I got dating advice from Coyote yesterday. The fun and games are over. In the latest Statford Chronicles book by John Walker, Tom Statford is... I just wanted to let each of you know that this is your last night on Earth. Best served cold. This is the way it has to be. Best served cold, book 7 of the Statford Chronicles. Available December 2015. When the gods fall, who's going to pick them up? I hope you enjoy dying by my hand. Welcome back, my dear friends. And now, now we get down to the feast. It's, 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 you know, it's always dessert here. There's, 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 you know, it's always, it's never meat, it's potatoes. It's always dessert here at the round table. And here is the main course. It's just a multi-course dessert feed. I kind of like that, actually. It's, it's sweet, it's flavorful, it's tasty, it's crunchy, and it's time. So let's do this thing. Friends, our guest writer uh, is an author and podcaster who has seized victory on the battlefields of NaNoWriMo five times. 
times, and that is no small accomplishment. His novels are available on Amazon as ebooks and on the free podiobooks.com serialized audiobook platform, uh, which is a fabulous place to, to find much fiction, including his own. Uh, he hosts a quasi daily podcast where he talks about a variety of topics on his commute, which I think is a very productive way to spend that, that time in the car. He lives in Michigan, uh, and I had the genuine pleasure of making his acquaintance and embracing him in a manly way uh, this year at Confusion in Novi, Michigan. Uh, and he lives there with his wife and an elderly cat. Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the round table, Keith Hughes. Keith, my man, uh, dude, it, it's never easy. I know it's not easy. I've been in your shoes. It's my show, and it was still terrifying. So much, much appreciation and respect uh, for the courage to step up and share your story, man. We appreciate it. Oh, I'm really appreciative of the opportunity to share my story and see what comes out of it. Yeah, well, you know, and that's exactly what we're going to do. But, but, dude, give us a give a shout real quick. What is this this quasi daily podcast that people can tune into while you ramble on the on your commute? It's uh, it's called uh, Ramblings of an Undisciplined Mind, and I call it quasi daily because I typically take Sundays off, uh, so I do it six days a week. Uh, most of them are in the car. Some of them I do uh, from the confines of my man cave when I'm home. <laughs> and I just I talk about uh, what I'm doing writing. I talk about video games, what I'm reading, um, stuff in the news, uh, just whatever kind of you know strikes my mind and and that I think it's is I can sit there and and talk about for five or ten minutes. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that really, I mean, Ultimately, what a wonderful opportunity the the, the Potosphere presents to to share that out, to send up that flare. Hey, this is what I think. What do you think? That's that's badass. Where where can people find this, Keith? What's what's the URL for the podcast? Uh, it is uh, penslinger.com. Penslinger.com. Uh, okay. And and I've been on a I'm a, I've been on a, a dark tower gunslinger thing so i got a whole roland image with you with a with a pen in your holsters that's kind of badass yeah that's kind of what i was going for when i came up with the success name. the the image sticks the image sticks awesome well let's get into this keith you know how this works man we give you five to eight minutes give us the story title the genre give us give us a tagline we can hook our brains into uh if you've worked up any themes share those with us it doesn't always happen but sometimes you do uh introduce us to the world and the characters give us the the tent poles of the story that you envision uh, and that will set the table for our brainstorming feast man I'm I'm done talking I'm getting out of the way sir the mic is all yours uh, my novel is entitled Uragira it is uh, science fiction and space opera the hook line is an exile hides its identity as deposed emperor among rebels while being hunted by his traitorous sister the theme is the importance of identity and the role of society in defining one's place. So the world. The, the solar system that the empire of Irizumi is in is peopled by former Japanese nationals. And it's named after their tattoo-based caste system. The system has two Earth-like planets in a binary orbit and another one that's barely habitable. And then hiding behind an asteroid field, rebels survive in uh, free space stations, fighting against the restrictions imposed on the lower castes. So the characters, my protagonist is named Ohi or Yurigiro. He's male, 32 years old. He's the youngest child of the royal family and was never thought to rule. 
He was trained as a pilot in the military. He's surprised when his father leaves him the throne. In exile, he names himself Yurigira. He can hide the royal tattoos that cover his body due to special ink controlled by nanobots. He begins purposeless, cut off from his royal identity. By the end, he's reassumed that mantle, now aware of injustices the caste system perpetrates. The antagonist is Kogo, female, 40 years old. She's Ohi's older sister. Known for parties that turn into orgies, she is popular with younger nobles. She is quick to anger and unstable. Finds her father's traditional lifestyle boring, but covets his power. She is enraged when her father gives the throne to Ohi. The assumption of power and knowing Ohi survives drives her to excess and paranoia. Supporting character, Navi Atax, female, 34 years old. She has a minor sigil on her left hand, but works as a shuttle navigator serving the free stations. She is missing several fingers and wears gleaming prosthetics to replace her amputated legs. Unyielding and ruthless when needed, but willing to help others harmed by the Imperials, blames the royals for atrocities she has experienced. A lieutenant of the pirate lord Ataxia. Her hatred for royals and rage at unknowingly helping Imperials is offset by her affection for Yurigira. Supporting character, Ataxia. Female, 51 years old, this mysterious character exerts considerable influence among the free stations, is thought to be working against the Empire, but is also head of the Imperial Secret Police. So, a little backstory. A year before the Emperor Hero is killed when pirates destroy his convoy, his death decree gave rule to his son Ohi instead of his oldest daughter Kogo, calling her unfit to rule. Months later, Ohi is also attacked in space, this time orchestrated by Kogo. Ohi's body double sacrifices himself, allowing him to escape. And the story, Act 1. As Yurigir's transport approaches Grove Station, he is emotionally adrift, merely surviving to, uh, in exile to honor his double sacrifice. His head covered in short hair and royal tattoos hidden, he feels alien. Watching his funeral on video causes impotent rage. He is not prepared for free station culture. He is accosted by the brash Navi Atax, who sees his pilot tattoo. She offers him a job on her intrastation shuttle. He accepts, needing cash. His first trip is uncomfortable. Navi's bare arms, flirting banter, and hatred for his family unnerves him. The shuttle docks with the sublight, a large ship that rings the stations at high acceleration. They visit several stations. At one he sees Navi talking with a familiar man, but Yurigira cannot remember why he is important. A stationer nearly recognizing him terrifies him. Navi suggests they share a bunk, but he declines, concerned about her loyalties. When they reach Tsunami Station, sensors detect a warship and debris. Kogo knows the buried emperor is a fake, and she is looking for him. The warship chases them, but they escape. Yurigira recalls Navi's contact is a known Ataxia collaborator. He is trapped between opposing forces. Seeing a way to avenge his father, Yurigira expresses interest in the pirate, and he is eventually introduced to Ataxia. He recognizes her as the head of the Imperial Secret Police. Ataxia kneels and calls him Majesty. Act 2 Yurigira rages at his father's death but Ataxi says Kogo and the top generals are guilty. Acts as a pirate lord to keep the stations in check. 
Navi is enraged, thinking she's been working against the Imperials. Her anger is interrupted as Kogo's warship approaches. Ataxia commands Navi to get Yuri Gira to safety. They can settle things later. The pair head for deep space and drift. Navi stays in her cabin. Yurigira is uncertain of her reactions. Navi finally emerges to give him a course, then leaves again. Uh, Yurigira finds he misses her flirting banter. Once docked to the sublight, Navi visits his cabin while he's wearing only boxers. She asks to see his tattoos, and his hidden ink reappears. Navi admits that she cannot hate him, and a kiss is interrupted by alarms. Kogo's warship is ahead and firing missiles. Yurigira detaches the shuttle before the missiles strike. When they finally arrive at another station, they meet Ataxia, who needs Yurigira to train fighter pilots to destroy Kogo's warship. He demands to accompany them on the mission. Ataxia eventually agrees. Navi also wants to be trained. As the training begins, he enjoys having a purpose again. He and Navi begin a romantic relationship. Kogo's warship arrives and a battle ensues, destroying it. Buoyed by success, Ataxia and Yurigira plan to get his throne back. Act 3. Ataxia's frigate draws the Imperial fleet to it. Using Ataxia's official shuttle, Yurigira sneaks home with Navi and a squad of troops. His royal tattoos are on display. The palace is quiet. The throne room looks like a brothel. Naked revelers, including Kogo, lay atop cushions asleep. Yurigira questions her, and Kogo confesses to regicide with the general's aid. She is sent to a cell. The generals are placed in custody. Weeks later, the accused are brought for judgment. Black ink covers Kogo's former tattoos. The generals are sentenced to death. Kogo is exiled on a drifting ship with little food. Yurigira announces Navi has agreed to be his empress. He recognizes the free station's struggle. Like he and Navi, the Empire and stations will learn to coexist. And that's it. Bam. Well done, sir. Very well done. Excellent. So tell me, Keith, what are you hoping to get out of the next 45 minutes or so of brainstorming? In large part, I'm just looking for that refining that you were talking about a little bit earlier. I also kind of feel like Act 3 um, is a little bit on the light side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and then anything that can be done to you know strengthen character. Okay. I'm all about. All right. Yeah. Awesome. I you, You've come to the right place, sir. Uh, uh, many ideas. I can hear them bouncing around through all three, four of us uh, uh, right now. Uh, so let's get to those. But first, we really need to cover our ass. Marie, would you be so kind? Certainly. Now, Keith, you're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It's important that you realize that everything said from this point forward by myself, Dave, or Jake might be complete and utter bullshit. This is your story, my friend, and you decide what to use and what to cast aside. Is that clear? Yes, it is. Excellent. Wonderful. We, we, we've got sign-off on our on our coverage. Excellent. Very good. Then let's dive into this. And and we always start with a, a brief once around the table. Just a, just a quick uh, uh, get some first impressions of, of Keith's story pitch. Ask some questions of things that didn't make sense or, or that require a little clarification. We always start with our guest host. So Jake Kerr, start us off, please, if you would. What are your what's your first impressions of, of Keith's story idea and what questions? do you have the uh, a couple of points the first is this is a you know um, 
the the really good news is this is kind of a timeless story. You know, the the emperor set adrift the uh, the royal who's in hiding, the uh, the rebels. Uh, you know, all of these things uh, are uh, very familiar to uh, science fiction readers and uh, readers in general, actually. So the uh, it's really good news that you're you're kind of tilling very fertile ground. So uh, but but therein lies the struggle. Uh, you're you are going down a path that's been uh, you know that that is practically paved at this point. So, you know you need to find a way to make it your own. And uh, at a high level, I see glimpses of that. Uh, you've got pieces here that uh, I find interesting, and we will dive into those. But I think that's uh, those are the two high level points that I would make. Uh, okay. You're in very very familiar territory, and uh, it's going to take a uh, a fairly high degree of difficulty to make it your own. Mm-hmm. Any questions uh, of clarification? Anything not connecting uh, for you, Jake? Um, not at a high level. I'll, okay. I'll have specific questions in a bit cool excellent marie what about you first impressions uh for keith and and any questions you might have um first impression is i I completely agree with what jake said i love space opera and i think you have some good bones here uh they are all well trodden bones perhaps path was a better uh metaphor there (laughs) (laughs) not for you (laughs) um i think Definitely, there's going to be some pushing here, um, and it's because of the love for what we see could happen that we will be pushing today. I do have a couple of clarifying questions that, to me, were not clear at all. Um, if you were to tell me in one sentence, what is your protagonist, oh, he, what is his motivation? What, what would you tell me that is in one sentence? Um, good question. I guess his motivation would be to get back what he lost. Okay. And then just one more, just to reflect that to Kogo, I'm not clear at all with her. Like she likes orgies. So why, why she wants to be in power to me is very unclear. Like she, she just comes up as a convenient character with either an anti-sex message or um, anti-crazy people message. Like I'm not clear what you're trying to accomplish with her. Um, what, what would you tell me is her motivation aside from sex, which is awesome. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. But. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I think her motivation is, you know, I, I envision her as as getting, uh, you know, she's getting pushback from the more conservative uh, aspects of the nobility. She's getting pushback from her parents or her father, um, the the emperor, and she just wants to live the life that she wants to live, and she doesn't want to have to deal with um, meeting other people's expectations. Yeah, but she's okay. rich. So she right. could like take a billion credits and buy a planet and be whoever she wants. Why does she want the throne? Yeah, and then that's where the little logic hoops were coming in here. Because she could just get the fuck out and have a big orgy for the rest of her life. <laughs> be well, tired. true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. We'll talk okay. about that. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like, like, yeah. Cool. No, thank you for answering my questions. I appreciate it. Yep, that's that's excellent. And you guys have kind of covered the same ground. I I like the world that you've set up, Keith. I like mm-hmm. the I like the frame that you put this in. Um I I couple of specifics. What is Navi's last name? Uh it's Atax. And it's and, really and, not a last name, it's more of a a suffix. And and what's the name of the pirate king? Ataxia. Yeah, that's very similar and in listening to the pitch, I had a hard time I, I when I heard Atax because that's such a wonderful 
a collection of letters, it sticks in the brain. So every time I would read that, I'd have to do a shuffle of of I would I would recommend uh, either affirming through the story why that suffix of ATAX is relevant. So, but you need to differentiate Navi from the head of security. Does that make sense? It does. Mm-hmm. And actually, the intention with that is the ATAX on the end of Navi's name is showing her uh, allegiance to Ataxia. Okay. okay. Um, has, and so most of the time, it's, it's, you know, it's going to be like how we typically are using first names here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's going to be called Navi ATAX all the time. I'm mainly just going to call her Navi. Right. But, right. You know, just a, from a cultural world building thing, you're going to need to affirm in narrative uh, that Atax is a, a reference to Ataxia uh, and, right. and that rulership. So that's cool. Um, yeah. uh, this is a, a, a empire, but it's an empire in a solar system. Do they have faster than light travel? No, they do not. Okay, so this is this is a very. Uh, uh, this is a sub-light story where we're talking, and again, just in context, how much time to get from planet A to planet B, uh, and we don't need to go into you know drives and so on and so forth. I just want to get a sense for, for distances and time. Uh, planet A to planet B is probably, uh, well, if we're talking about the binary pair, it's probably weeks. Weeks, okay. Um, and- you know, because... What about communication? Is communication instantaneous, or does communication follow those same restrictions? I think it'll follow those same restrictions. Okay, cool. No, that's cool. That 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 creates a wonderful dynamic that we can play with, uh, as 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 communication information makes its way to the people that need it, but it's not instantaneous, and that's that's a wonderful narrative uh, uh, ploy that we can play with. Um, there's a lot of other questions that came up, but they all kind of hang back on what's already been invoked, that that you're working with some very um, iconic and, uh, dare I say, even tropic characters. And I think I think the biggest challenge before us is to preserve that that wonderful space opera essence that you've set up in your in your framework, but find that unique uh, 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 untilled, uh, un- unground bones or untilled field uh, uh, in, a, in a very common field uh, uh, to find a place that you can really shine and, and explore uh, new new vectors of, of narrative within this. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to save some of those specific points too as we dive into this. And let's do, let's let's get right into this because I think there's some good stuff to explore. Jake, where do you want to start? Uh, uh, you know, there's there's characters, there's world building, there's there's plot and narrative. What's what's popping up in your brain as far as where you want to dive in? So let's let's start wide or broad and then narrow in okay. because I think that. Uh, talking about some of the world building aspects will have a pretty specific impact on when we discuss character. Cool. You know, um, Marie very uh, astutely identified the motivation of the characters as something that she had to ask you about. And that ties directly into the kind of world building that you have around it. Uh, I had a lot of questions about that. And, you know, part of this is going to be, you just, uh, you're giving us a summary and there's probably a ton of notes that you have behind it. Uh, some of it may be just blind spots. Uh, and that's what this is all about. Let's help identify, uh, you know, what is what. Um, so the real, the real question I have 
and perhaps it was clear and I'm just dense, but who holds the power here? Because when you're talking about a space opera where there's an egg, uh, the death of an emperor and there's a caste system and there's pirates or, or rebels and there's uh, you know fighting forces for who's going to control the power in the wake of that vacuum, the real question comes down to who really holds the power and what is it? You know, we've seen in uh, you know Dune, it's who controls spice is the power there. And, and we could go down a litany of examples of really clear visions of this is where the power lies. And that would be my first question to you, Keith. You know, in Act One, we've got this power vacuum, and uh, our protagonist is put in exile, uh, or is off in exile, or is hiding because you know he clearly doesn't have the power to take the mantle that his father intended for him. What is that power? And then in Act Three, we see reversal. Suddenly, he is able to take that power, unless I'm confused, which is distinctly possible. And I don't see any of the change in the power structure that would enable that to happen. So that would be my first question to you is, where does the power lie in this great story of yours? And how is it changing to where we have this fairly dramatic shift in terms of exile to you know being in power? And how did that happen? Because it seems very passive. And I think narratively, we would want the protagonist to be involved in making that twist happen. So I'll leave it at that. Well, you know, the way I've envisioned this is that um, your place in society, in this society, is is defined fairly early, and it's all done via um, tattoos. And the actual art of tattooing is something that you have to have uh, a mandate, a license, whatever you want to call it, from the imperial family to be able to do that. And so at, at the base, you've got a, a, a family sigil on one hand and you've got a occupational sigil on the other, other hand. And then yeah, that's what the, the lowest of the low have. And, and you're stuck there unless you make the escape out to the, to the systems. You're stuck there. And so um, it, is, it is kind of through the use of you know, the, the society runs off of of you know what your tats are and how much you have and of course as you move up the nobility they have more and more and more and they have more access they can do more things but um but they are also slotted into their space in society so it's a very structured and rigid society that they've kind of put put themselves in uh by basing everything on you know tattoos and once you get the tattoo you can't get it off it's 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 you know permanent we can wax rhapsodic on that keith uh the tattoo concept is very tribal uh, uh and and very cool but it doesn't necessarily speak to what uh, what what jake is looking for uh where where's the power uh, I mean, we, we can talk about how a, a stagnant culture, uh, you know, a, a rigid caste system uh, uh, has never sustained uh, for for a, a long time uh, in in history. Um, and, and, you know, the spice of Dune or or the, the control of inter, of interplanetary travel or where where is the power? Is it military? Is it economic? Is it resources? Where who who is? You know what, Dave, let me, if you don't mind, I'll narrow that down even a little bit more. That might make this question easier to answer. And Keith, the question is, how do you move from the heights to being in exile 
to Back to the Heights. So we have a change in cast. Now, it's not objectively a change in cast, but it's a change in position for our protagonist. Mm-hmm. What necessitated his fall and what ne- necessitates his rise and what is behind that? And that goes hand in hand with what Dave is talking about, and I, I totally agree with it. Well, I, he falls when... Um you know, he was going to be killed by his sister and with the, with the collusion of the military. So in a large sense, the military are, is, is the holders of the power for the imperial family. There we go. And if you, can, if you can subjugate them, then you can take the power. And that's basically what Kogo does. Um, he actually does it twice, as we find out later on. And, and so in uh, Ohi's case, he is attacked while they are are traveling and you know he's got a he's got a body double there so somebody looks just like him he's got almost the same tats that he does it makes him look like an imperial you know to do the the bodyguarding things that body doubles do and he sacrifices himself and says okay you go um and i will stay here and you know i will as i've as i've previously vowed or whatever i will sacrifice myself with you so that you can escape but ultimately it comes down to military power who's got the bigger guns uh in position so so military is the strength of this culture and it's through military might that oh he is brought low and that uh your is is elevated once again right right yeah so, so so that's part of the problem that he has at the beginning of the novel is that he has no military you know he's hiding it's just him, and he has no military, so he has no way at that point to be able to try to fight back against his sister to, to retake the power. Okay. So, Jake, uh, from that perspective, again, it, it feels very much like we're, we're plowing established fields uh, in terms of, of cultural dynamics. Uh, well, not cultural dynamics, but, but po- political power through superior firepower. Uh, are you, are you, what are you thinking about that? Well, I, I still don't get the uh, what's behind it. So why would the what what has his sister done to get the military on her side versus them betraying him who has been named the the uh, anointed the heir? Yeah. And, and then and then tied into that is how do the tattoos play into that? So because if tattoos are power then we have to somehow tie that into military as power as well. And uh, I think there's a little bit of a conflict here because I'm going to assume that as emperor, he has more tattoos than his sister. And maybe that's something you can play into. Maybe he doesn't and he's waiting to have them done. And she jumps in and, and has the emperor tattoos put on and in literally ink equals power. And he just has to have the ink done that he doesn't. And I'm not sure where you're going with that, but that's just where my head is. And I don't see that just yet. Be curious what Marie thinks, though. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is um, it's the representation of power, right? It's like if you have a traditional fantasy story and they have a crown, you take the crown away and then suddenly there's no identification. Whereas you have – I really like the idea of the nanobots that would rip away the – that would hide the tattoos. I thought that was really cool. Um, But if their only representation of power and the only way that they can step up to power is always linked and marked to them – I'm thinking, and I'm a terrible person, I will admit that, I'm thinking, like, why not just cut them off? Why not burn them off? Why not change the skin? I mean, you've got someone who's got prosthetic limbs, right? So if you want to hide who you are, then you just remove that demarcation, but he doesn't. 
Uh, there's no real reason why he doesn't. I mean, he he keeps the tattoos. He just hides them, knowing that he will because he's apparently it doesn't work all that well because he's revealed all the time. Um, <laughs> so so knowing, you know, it, it's like um, I think the main censure of it from just what you guys are talking is that uh, he doesn't take the power he doesn't want the power he's just marked with it it's like a chosen one story except it's a chosen one story where he's never made to clearly have the decision or to make the decision to step away because he's always marked with the tattoo so it's hard in a way to wrap your head around how the tattoos which are so easy to remove and we can remove them nowadays i assume that you there's a whole under black market somewhere there where they can just have them lasered off or something um if they have nanotech right so it, it it seems like um, it seems like a cool idea, but not pushed quite enough for us to be able, as readers, to really kind of dip our sink our teeth into and understand why why this is such a big deal. Well, and I'd I'd go so far as to say the notion that you can hide your tattoos that there's technology in a culture so grafted to this notion of a tattoo. I, mean, I love the idea that, you know, you can steal a crown, but you can't steal a tattoo. Mm-hmm. That That's cool. I think that's important. I think that's germane. Because I, I think we've all kind of twigged on that tattoo thing. And, and I'm going to indulge ourselves a little bit further. I think having technology that can hide your tattoos would be forbidden. Uh, that just, that doesn't make sense to me in the context of a culture that is built on those, I really like the idea that you had Marie of burning them off. Because uh, where the hell not? Well, and that kind of it demonstrates it, with with if you can hide it, your character can then be kind of mamby pamby and and not make a commitment. But if you have to burn them off, mm-hmm. you're committed. Yeah, and I think that speaks much more highly of a, a, a strong protagonist and a strong passion to say I reject my culture. Uh, uh, and and either that or no, I will not reject my culture. Somebody can come to him and say, hey, I can burn those off for you. It'll be painful and you'll have scars for the rest of your life, but I can get rid of it. And and he rejects that. The idea of being able to cloak it and hide it, that that seems kind of mamby-pamby to me. And I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather that not be the case. I'd rather not give our protagonists that out and, and force them into a decision early on to declare who they are. Well, there's some there's some there's some interesting things you can do with that too, Dave. Not to, to go further down this path of telling Keith how to write a story, but well, no. um, the fact of um, and I'm not saying we're doing it. I'm just saying I'm about to do that. So, <laughs> yeah. go ahead. I love the idea of like if you're a criminal, the only way to get rid of your tattoos that identify you as a criminal is to burn them off. So if you're at a high cast and you burn off your uh, your tattoos to to kind of get away from that, you're almost identified as a criminal, even though you're not, because yeah. that's. There's a lot you can do with that. Let me let me go back a little bit, if you guys don't mind. I have a real issue with the tattoos as the defining element of the power because they are inherently temporary, as we've just talked about. And they are something that are added for display. There has to be something behind them. And you brought up the point of the body double. If the tattoos define you, define you, mind you, as being the one in power, the body double would inherently have as much power as the actual heir because he has the same tattoos. Now, maybe they're a little bit different, but then he's not so good as a body double. But let's just, for the sake of argument, say he has identical tattoos to the you know the heir to the throne. He is ostensibly the heir to the throne. So there must be something else, something else that controls the power and the identifier, identifying element of power. 
and and I'm not sure what that is. Well, let me let me toss this out there. I, I kind of agree with you, uh, uh, Jake, because of the impermanence. Although, like you say, you can do some cool things with the scarring. What what if it's and and again, this is going even further down a rabbit hole. We need to pull back out and talk about Kogo and and Yogiras in terms of characters. But uh, uh, let me just toss out the idea of of some sort of genetic uh, alteration. Uh, uh, or, or the infusion of some sort of organism that bonds itself to you on a molecular level, and the manifestation of that entity is the tattoos. Uh, uh, and I, I might be just, That's cool. yeah, I don't know. I, I just tossing out there, and let's just toss it and leave it. Uh, uh, I think, I think there's, there's other food to explore uh, on this. Go ahead, Marie. Yeah, one of the things, if I can uh, move us a tiny bit away from the tattoos, um, is, uh, and you mentioned this, Keith, that you were really interested in, in looking at your character's motivations and all that. Um, one of the things that I found when I was looking at it, and I'm just going to throw it out there, um, is you have Ohi, who's who's nothing special except for his tattoos, right? He's not smarter. He's not, like, he, he doesn't have anything that makes me fall in love with him, which is okay. That's totally okay. Like, when I read him, I might fall in love with his personality. So, but, um, so he doesn't really make any decision points. So, if I take Ohi right now and what you've read to us and I replace him with a sack of potatoes, um, we can pretty <laughs> much have the same storyline. Yeah. So, just think about, like, what are the decision points my hero can make? But, one of the things that really stood out with me for character motivations is is you have a lot of women, uh, female characters, which could be super cool. They all have good backstories and stuff, but you have um, Navi who falls in love with him and can't hate him even though she's lost fingers. She's a rebel pirate. She's missing legs and she's hated the Empire her entire life. And suddenly it's like, well, you're kind of cool, so I'll just kiss you and let's make out. And at the end, I'll become your queen. Like to me, that wasn't a believable shift because it, it shows she's weak. She's completely dependent on him as a character to make up her mind and she tacks onto his storyline. Same thing with the taxi she's super faithful to him but why because now it's it's kogo who's the empress so shouldn't she be faithful to her instead and uh the same thing with kogo she really hates ohi uh, and wants the power but again i'm not clear why it seems like ohi elicits these really really strong reactions especially from the female characters but i can't see why um i don't understand why uh, and again i'm not I'm not much of a romantic or anything like that, but I, I just, I find that their reactions are super strong without necessarily the logic cinching to it. It's just like, oh, he is there and therefore I must focus my whole life on him. Well, if you see what I mean? Let's, let's, let's focus on Kogo then. Let's focus on the antagonist yeah. a little bit uh, and see if we can find a way to... In, 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 in depth in that's not a word uh to to, to, to deepen <laughs> it is now it is now by it's god beautiful. I, that's what we in depth in uh to deepen her her authentic to make her more authentic to deepen her motivations uh to something that we can get behind and and maybe in in exploring the antagonist we can find uh, a hook or a line for both the antagonist and for the supporting characters to to dive into i think i think everybody on the supporting character side is getting along way too much uh, uh, we 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 need some we need some schisms and some deep hatreds that need to be overcome and prejudices and so on. But let's let's talk about Kogo. Uh, uh, Marie, you you had invoked Kogo as as your first character of issue. What, what would you like to see in Kogo? I, I'd like her to have. Um, right now, she feels like a, a very 
simple kind of flat cliche mm-hmm. uh, i'd like her to have motivations and also things she actually wants to accomplish like if she does want the throne it's it's more than to just have an orgy it's she actually wants to accomplish something that the reader can look at kogo and say i get her i might not support her because i think she's batshit crazy or she's going about it the wrong way but i get what she's doing right well and you know we've got this very rigid society uh, uh, we could, if with a little tweaking and nudging of, of optics and, and messaging, uh, uh, Coco could become a force for change. Mm-hmm. Uh, she could actually become something that the culture needs desperately. Uh, but as with so many uh, uh, antagonists, while we agree that uh, Kogo's intentions are good, the way she's going about them makes us turns our stomach and makes us go I, I can't get behind you but I see what you're doing and it's cool so maybe yeah. if Kogo wants to transform the culture maybe I just had a thought of tying Kogo to Navi uh, uh, and and finding a way for somebody that's on the other side to be the motivation for Kogo to enact this coup so that she can tear down these rigid structures that have held the people in slavery in this caste for so long uh, uh, so that they can truly thrive and become their realize the evolution of self that happens as you go from child to to middle age to old uh, and and enforcing a more fluid structure in there. Jake, what do you think? Oh man. Um it's again kind of old worn territory actually if you think about it. Uh but by making the rebel uh uh the the people that are trying to tear down the system and rebuild it, making them the villain, it it introduces an interesting dynamic from a reader standpoint because I'm supposed to be rooting for that person, but ew, no, I, think, I don't. I, I think it's difficult for me to talk about character, to be honest with you, because I don't have a good grasp on the socio-political understanding that's motivating them and what's behind the scenes. We get we get told that the the kind of imperials are doing are, are, are atrocities, and uh, so I, I would Marie hit the nail on the head. It's like it's very convenient to all of a sudden, oh, I fall in love with this guy and it's all better. We need to know what's behind the scenes there because you know. If there, are, if 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 families are being burned alive and planets are being massacred, I mean, I feel kind of dirty at the end of this book because I'm rooting for the bad guys. You know, it's right. like, you know, I, I need to know who, not just who the bad leaders are. I mean, I can kind of understand like I want power and it's selfish and you know that kind of bad guy is timeless or bad gal as the case may be. But what's the forces behind it? I mean, what 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 you know, it, it, you can have selfish people take on rulership positions and do good things. But that's why we need to know what's behind the scenes. I mean, I have a real hard time understanding who the bad forces are in this story. And I, I, my concern is that we're rooting for the bad guys. I mean, this is like, we're rooting for Darth Vader, you know? Right. Right. So, so Keith, uh, uh, just very briefly, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I can certainly see what, what, what Jake is saying. I, I think in some ways, you know, what's, what's kind of driving everything is tradition. Um, it's, it's a very traditional society. And, of course, Japanese cultures had traditions going back forever. But are they the bad um, guys? I mean, they've got rebels and we're, we're conditioned to love the rebels. Uh, you know, when you, when you look at Captain America Civil War, we weren't rooting for Tony. We were rooting for Cap. 
every time. The guy that, team that goes Iron in, Man. Team. I, yeah, I was rooting for Tony. I don't know what you're talking. About. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Here's where it happens. Here's where we throw we're down. We're not. We're not rooting for Emperor Palpatine. We're right. Rooting. Exactly. Exactly. So, but but with with Yuri uh, uh, Gira as the representation and embodiment of that, you're you're asking us to root for Palpatine. Yeah. I can see why you say that. Yeah. So, so we've got we've got bad guys, and then we've got a worse guy. In this case, a girl, Kogo, who's who's going to make it even worse. And so, it, so, so suddenly, in order for Yurigira to be a, a a protagonist we can get behind, his motivation needs to shift away from affirming the status quo to destroying everything that he's grown up with and building something new based on you know some sort of enlightenment and there needs to be a transformative moment in those space stations other than let's just get you back on the throne dude because the way it was was so awesome for us says Navi who's hobbling around on on decrepit <laughs> cybernetics yes please by all means let's let's bring back the old ways i like those we've we've got a problem here yeah i agree okay so, so we've got a problem. We need to fix it. Uh, uh, so I, I think I'm going to invoke the license of the brainstormers to say what needs to change. Let's, let's start at the high level, and then we can drill down to details. What needs to change? Jake, you've, you've articulated your, your confusion. Now, what does it take, given what we've got to work with, to clarify it, to eliminate that confusion? What do we need to do? Well, there's, they're, they're, this, these are big structural kind of issues to attack, so there's multiple ways to do it. We can make the, the rebels the actual bad guys, and as we go along the book, the, uh, you know, the characters start to realize that the bad guys aren't the Imperials, they're the rebels. You know, so it becomes almost like a, 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 the dawning realization plot. You know, and, and then the turning of uh, Uragura's uh, allies makes sense. You know, that's one way to approach it. The other way to approach it is for uh, Yurigura to completely disown the behavior of the tradition and what he's left and what he's been forced out of and dis- and say, I want the power, but I want the power to be a force for good and I want to dismantle everything. So, and those are big structural changes that will require a lot of different things. Those are just two. There's a multiple ways to attack this. I'll let you know sure. you and Marie kind of do the rest. What about you, Marie? Yeah, I, I like uh, I like some of what you touched on too, JK. And you're right, there are definitely multiple ways of touching on it. Uh, one of the ways, because I, I, I like the, um, I like the, the texture you have in there of the traditional and uh i mean the main problem is right now is especially with uh, navi because the traditional obviously doesn't work in the caste system so you could even have ohi um like it tack it onto his character arc too because he doesn't seem to have much of one right now he doesn't have the the reversals uh and, and the changes in in ideas or or in direction that uh which dave's already touched on too um but have him tack on to him where he comes to realize that you know what maybe this caste system isn't working and you could even have him gain his throne and people's trust by just basically saying that I will abolish the caste systems I will remove my own tattoos and everyone else's or whatever it is grand gesture he decides to do and then you have a sequel in that he finds out it's not that easy uh, and there's a new uprising or something against him or whatever uh, I love sequels to books but um, <laughs> yes there's there's definitely multiple ways to do it but I'd say definitely look at your character arc because your, your plot arc could easily tack on to this and your setting arc and then he'll have decision points too and suddenly he do, he's not a sack of potatoes anymore yeah 
Yeah, because because Yurigura needs to be. I mean, if see one of the things that occurred to me early on was that you know maybe Yurigura isn't the protagonist of this story. Uh, maybe it's a taxia. Maybe it's the secret police leader. That's a, that's a perspective we haven't seen a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, and it would give us some cool insights into the machinations of the secret police. You know, the KGB, the 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 SS, the blah blah. Uh, it would possibly be a very dark story, um, and and because a taxi is reversal is more dramatic than Yurigiro's non-reversal. Uh, so, so one thought would be shifting the point of view of the storyteller from, from the 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 chosen one who has been deposed and blah blah blah, to the the dark manipulator in the background who has always done what they've done because that's the way you do it, and then something shocks them out of it, and it's that something that that becomes the crux point for and the conflict for all of the characters. And, you know, Yurigira could represent that in some way. The other thought that occurred to me was having the story being told from a tattooist. Uh, maybe there's a tattooist in the Rebels. You know, maybe they've devised their own tattoos and having this be a story from that perspective as these grand, powerful beings run along. Because really, if, if, we, if we make the power to be defined by the tattoos... I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm torn with the idea of the, we need to burn this. We need to burn this to the ground and start over. Uh, uh, but what do we do with uh, build it into what? Uh, can you have a story that is just all about what we've got, what we've built? Both sides are wrong, and it needs to be burned to the ground, which then loves creates wonderful uh, sequel food. What does come from that? But that what? But that means that what is happening, what is going on, needs to be so bad all the way around uh, that we have to. The, the, the issue then becomes: is the risk of dissolution of what we've got worth? The, the the possibility that nothing can come of it that we that we destroy ourselves I don't know I'm rambling at this point uh, uh, Jake thoughts on that I don't know no I like that a lot I, I mean one of the comments I have is you know to make the characters totally invested in their motivation and this ties in with Marie like hey what is their motivation but those motivations should be complex and more importantly flawed so I love the idea of ataxia who, who I don't necessarily know if I'd make the protagonist, should, but should be a very important character in the sense that, you know, th- that's the person who's doing all of these atrocities. That's the person who's burning children alive or, you know, however bad we would envision it. That's a horrible, horrible person. And yet we've got plenty of stories where the horrible person, the more we kind of reveal the layers, we see, well, they're not quite so horrible. They're still horrible, but, you know, there's there's something, you know, we if you can turn that character into someone complex, mm-hmm. that would be really amazing. Yeah. Marie, what yeah, do you think? I like it. I, I really like the idea, actually. I think you, you hit on a really interesting point here by changing the story from uh, from Ohi <laughs> because he does have the least interesting and the most predictable arc as well. I mean, deposed and in exile and goes back to reclaim his throne. I mean, it, it's a very typical and we can see it coming. But when you change it right away to a, a character like a Taxia or Navi, which have multiple different um, 
motivations and have different ways of looking at it. They don't have a single purpose. Like, I don't know what she's going to do, what either one of them would do. I don't know where they're going to end up at the beginning of the story. I just don't know what their decision points will be because there is no logical conclusion to their characters, which I really like because it keeps that mystery going. Well, the interesting thing is, if you look at it from that perspective, you look at Navi and a taxi, which is the only, and, and Kogo, um, uh, basically, Yurigira is, 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 is uh, a resource. And mm-hmm. if Navi can get Yurigira to do something, then Navi is better. Uh, if Ataxia can get Yurigira to do something, then Yurigira is better. And, and even Kogo, you know, maybe Yurigira took something uh, uh, that, that is essential. Maybe, maybe she needs the genetic code of the Emperor uh, uh, in order to solidify her power. So she needs to, like, drain his blood or something, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, she becomes the vampire queen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All the time. Uh, uh, but, and then you've got that everybody wants something from me angle on Yurigira, which invites him to say, what do you want, dude? Uh, uh, because you can't want the throne, uh, uh, but everybody here wants a piece of you, and there's no place else to go. All right? You can't go interstellar. You haven't developed interstellar travel yet, so this is your world. Uh, and, and we kind of basically have brought ourselves to a decision, a turning point that that needs to be defined in order for the story to go on. And I'm looking at the clock. I'm going, holy crap, the clock is ticking. We still haven't found this thing. And maybe we won't. I don't know. Uh, not, not every brainstorm results in, in this, this lightning bolt of thing. And maybe it's just identifying the, the options around there and then giving Keith the opportunity to explore them deeper. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm not sure. Uh, because we all agree the setting is, is workable and doable. We just need to have a definition of what are the values uh, uh, of the characters and of the cultures within which they're working, and that is where we will find new ground to build on. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. Yep. And I'm not sure. I you know, and like I say, Keith, what are you? I'm gonna I'm gonna add, put it back on there on the on the writer here. Uh, uh, what are what do you esteem the values of what are the values that you esteem the most of these cultures, of the rebels, and of the empire, and of the characters that you've that you've crafted here? Well, for the rebels, you know, they're uh, I see them as 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 being, you know, they they want to be able to define themselves. They don't want society defining them, uh, or you know, if they grew up, if they were born on on the mining planet, that doesn't mean that they have to be a miner and lose their legs and lose fingers and stuff. Um, whereas the Imperials tend to be more traditional and, and, um, and that's seen in the, in the Royal family as well. So that's kind of the primary conflict I've seen between these two groups of people. Okay. How about this then? Uh, uh, Kogo's coup happens because she used the rebels. She didn't have the military power because she doesn't have the tattoos. Uh, uh, she couldn't pull off uh, uh, the the thing that happens to Yurigira that drives him into exile without the rebels. Uh, and and so the rebels are, you know, she's promised them all the things that they want and they're down with them. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's discovered that all she's going to do is burn them uh, and that would be like an act two revelation uh, uh, that then 
Yeah, and again, I'm spitballing here. I'm just, this is what occurred to me as you were talking. I don't, go ahead. I, I still, uh, Keith, I still don't see a conflict here. I mean, we've got tradition. Ver- you're talking about two different things. We've got tradition versus indentured servitude. You know, that, those two things are not inherently in conflict. Uh, in fact, they're inherently go together where you've got, you know, the tradition is for you to work and, and me to, to, to use the money. The real conflict there is my life is shit. And you guys are living, you, know, you know, having peeled grapes fed to you on, on, uh, you know, settees. You know, what, what I think that you need to find is why are the rebels so freaking pissed off and why don't they want to change things? Is it because they're losing legs and they have a desperate, horrible life? Uh, yeah, that has nothing to do with tradition. That has everything to do with I've got a wretched, horrible life and I want to change things. And the, the Imperials, it's not tradition necessarily that that they're defending. It's the fact that their tradition gives them this life of leisure. So really, it, it's it's a it, it, the essence of what I see here. And if this isn't what we're seeing here, then you need to kind of clarify it is a class based conflict, which is to your benefit as old as you know humanity, but also to your detriment is something that you need to play with because it's uh, it's very, very well-worn path, as I mentioned in the opening statements. I just don't have a clear view of what the conflict is that actually would sh- send someone to risk their life in a rebellion to change things. Uh, and, and to me, it really comes down to our life is wretched and your life is awesome. I want your life. I don't want my life. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. And, and that's very much behind how I see what Navi's motivations are and, and what Navi's feelings toward the royal family is just that, you know, you know, I had to endure all this horrible stuff and my life was horrible and, and it still is horrible because there's less of me now. Um, so how does that change with Ohi on the throne or as emperor? Does it change? And that's the question that's open-ended that I don't understand because it seems like the book closes the same way it opens and we got a different body sitting in the throne. Yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying there. there. There needs to be some differentiation between what Kogo's rule would be and what Ohi's rule would be. No, it has nothing to do with those guys. Has the, the, some dumb schlub living out in the mining colony who lost four, you know, two legs and five fingers. How does, mm-hmm. he, how does his life change? Right. If his life doesn't change, there's no, there's no resolution of the conflict here. I'm I'm going to go ahead and and move us into that final stage, um, because I think there's there's an opportunity here for us as as conversationalists within this story setting to to not just raise questions but maybe offer possibilities in terms of you know under understanding that this is Keith's story we've established that uh, uh, and and maybe invoke or infuse our own personal aesthetics. Uh, and say, you know, if I was writing this, maybe consider this. Not as a, as a template to overlay for Keith's story, but more as a opening of possibilities in terms of what Keith uh, might explore as he tries to find that, that, that strike point, that spark point of, of passion uh, uh, and definition. So, so Jake, I'm I'm gonna start off with you, man. Uh, what are your What are your final thoughts as far as uh, uh, possibilities in terms of what we can what can offer clarity for for Keith's story? So I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I, I have one recommendation, and that is take one of you take a minor character. It could be it actually could be a big character like Navi or something. Um, 
and how their life is miserable. Their, you know, their family was mistreated. How did it, uh, the, the friends, family, why they have decided that a rebellion is a good idea. What is so bad about it? And at the end of the book, make sure that that feeling of rebellion is resolved into a sense of optimism. Our, our, the new person is on the throne. Things are going to change. How can, you know, we've achieved the conflict at the central part of this book, which is leadership has changed and uh, the, uh, you know, Coco has been put down. We are in a much better place. If we're not in a much better place, then this is book one of a series and you've got to kind of prepare for making it into a better place. Now, I say that with the understanding that sometimes it's, you know, you end a book and not good things happen. The, you know, it's all about the person and, and he's a complex character and, you know, that kind of thing. But I don't get the sense that this is a space opera that has that kind of point of view. I get the sense that the point of view here is really about the bigger picture. And so that's what I would say. Take it to a small level of a character who's facing bad things and how has that changed with what has happened in the novel. Uh, I don't know if that will do anything, but that's my kind of spitball recommendation. No, I like it. I like it because it gives, it, it'll afford a different perspective of the same story. And, you know, every character is the hero of their own story. So even, you know, looking at it from that perspective could reveal some some un, untapped uh, veins of literary gold to be mined. I like it. I like it. Marie, what about you? I, I love what you said, Jake. Thank you for that. Um, I'd say just to riff off a little bit, uh, what you said is think about why is this story important? Why does it need to be told? And that falls back on what Jake said, that something needs to change across the length of it. But also think about your characters. Is which character will it either affect the most or will they make the most decisions to propel the story forward? Because maybe it's time to analyze your protagonist and your main point of view character. Maybe uh, it's not quite in sync yet. And you need to think about whose story am I actually telling at this time? That's what I would recommend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, and I'm I'm gonna riff on that as well. Um, I'm I'm reminded of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Uh, which, if you don't know the story, it's it's a marvelous play uh, and a film um, where the play of Hamlet is happening in the background, and these two minor characters are basically given center stage, uh, and and we go through their time there in Denmark. What are they talking about? What are they concerned about? What are their and, and periodically, you know, Hamlet or Olivia or somebody will come in and we'll actually see a scene from Hamlet, and then we go back to talking about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern and what they're going through. I'm wondering, Keith, since you're working with this very well-worn structure of deposed man against dark you know, rival who again ascends the throne and justice is restored, I I'm, guess I'm just kind of affirming what, what Jake and Marie have already said, is that, you know, I, I again go back to that tattooist. Uh, that person is a very interesting person in the context of your culture. Uh, they deliver the power without having any power themselves, which is a very interesting place to be. Uh, that makes them very valuable to the power people and to the, the people that want power. Uh, uh, and an unscrupulous tattooist 
while you know risking grave peril, could also get really freaking rich, uh, offering uh, uh, you know adapted tattoos to people, uh, and and maybe that's who Yuri Yuri Gira goes to uh, initially to to disappear and blend in. I don't know, um, but but letting this this very familiar backdrop play out exactly as you have it but letting us see something of a different perspective of it by delving into the non-heroic characters and finding the heroism in them maybe that's that's where the food is for this i'm not sure uh but yeah holy crap i my brain is befuddled uh, uh there's i i feel like we've we've had a good conversation about story and character and and culture and world building uh, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure we've, we've fulfilled our mandate of literary gold. Uh, uh, so, so Keith, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to, uh, to, to fulfill it for us and go off and write this thing, uh, uh, explore it and, and see where these, these inroads of discussion take you. And when you do, cause I have no doubt that you will, you've done it before, uh, and you will again. Let us know, because I want to have that conversation with you. I want to be backstage at the knighting ceremony uh, uh, and and discover what you found uh, through this. And we'll invite Jake back. We'll have Jake back for the knighting ceremony because I know he'll be down for that. Uh, and uh, and we'll we'll knight you, and we'll have a talk about what you discover for that. Are you down with that? Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. Good. Well, dude, thank you. Uh, uh, this this has been. Uh, a, a most unusual roundtable for us, uh, and and in a good way, I think it it, it certainly has defined for me uh, uh, some of the areas of discussion and exploration, and and the way a brainstorm unfolds. So thank you for that, and thank you for having the cojones to step up and do this, man. This was awesome. I appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity. You give me a lot of great things to think about here to make it an even better story Excellent. than it would be originally. Excellent. Good. Well, and in, in that regard, then we have fulfilled our mandate that we've given you some 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 food and some some paths to explore along those lines. Jake Kerr, dude, thank you uh, uh, once again. Uh, the conversation is uh, uh, we've done. We went down some rabbit holes, but we really kind of I think hit on <laughs> some of the core aspects of of what defines a story it kind of actually speaks to the adaptation thing we were talking about in the 20 minutes with. And I can't think of anyone better to, to, to help guide us through those, those sticky swampy morasses, uh, uh, than you, sir. And, and you acquitted yourself. Well, I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that. You're too kind. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Always a pleasure being here. I, I, I love, uh, just, chatting with you dave whether it's uh, at a convention or uh, on your wonderful podcast You're and you as well sir. marie obviously this is good stuff and 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 marie uh, uh once again you know we, we 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 explored some story terrain that we haven't been down before and i think that from from a host and co-host standpoint really that's that's kind of the fun part uh, uh it doesn't always <laughs> lead to that triumphant yes we achieved this uh but it gives us a definition of what that terrain looks like. So as we go down ourselves and as our listeners do, uh, uh, we, we are better equipped to navigate those, those tricky parts. Thank you, ma'am. 
That was wonderful. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And friends, thank you. I hope I hope this was good for you. I'm sure it was. I mean, it's the round table. There's always awesomeness to be had here. Uh, uh, and, and it's not always wrapped in a, in a bright package with a bow saying, here, here you go. Sometimes it's, and actually I could hear many of you shouting at your car speakers as you're driving on your commute listening to the episode, that you're forgetting this and that. Well, guys, that's what the comment section is for. That's what blogs are for. That's what Facebook is for. Uh, uh, if, if, if you're feeling those, those, here's some things that we should have talked about. Uh, uh, by all means, social media and the interwebs is a, is the place to do that. Uh, uh, let's continue this discussion out there in the world. Uh, I look forward to that because really, uh, uh, that's kind of what the internet and what podcasting gives us is that opportunity for interaction and exchange. So let's leverage that. And holy crap, I'm exhausted. Uh, I always am at the end of these things, but uh, uh, the heat has gone up in the room. I'm spent. Uh, But you know, here's the thing. In two weeks, we're going to come back. We're going to do it again. We have another awesome guest host uh, uh, to to, to point out some of the high points in the low valleys of this writerly terrain. We all wander uh, uh, in in pursuit of our own unique quests and goals. Another courageous guest writer to, to offer us an opportunity to walk that path down there story world uh more awesomeness of the round table to be had by all and it's two weeks i know it's two weeks i I need it i gotta i need to rest up this was huge uh marie (laughs) help us out uh two weeks is a long damn time what can we do uh to, to to service in our quest and to make that time fly by you know i'm just gonna say it again i've said it before is just take half an hour every day to write sit down and make a commitment and just make those words and that magic happen on that page do it do it do it it. do the writing (laughs) well and you know those little bits those little scenes those little interactions between characters those are telling moments Uh, uh, and sometimes those big picture issues which you wrestled with on this episode can be resolved simply by having by scripting out one conversation between two characters Uh, uh, that can be an epiphany a revelation so that's good advice Marie thank you I like that and I I think everyone should follow it and I will tell you friends that I always do you find what you're looking for look for the top shelf blue label goodness look for the lost package look for that spark that catalyst that 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 flash point of passion that drives you to the keyboard if you look for those things it's inevitable it's 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 destiny it will happen ah but that's and that's gonna have to happen over two weeks guys two weeks 14 days we'll be back we'll see you then until then you guys stay cool stay frothy and stay awesome and we will talk to you soon bye-bye This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. 
We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.